0: Your ass. You will not laugh. You will not cry. You will learn by the numbers. I will teach you. Now get up. Good evening, friends. It's Friday, which means it's time once again for another informative episode of Observations on the Roads to Liberty Network. I'm Hobbs, and these are my observations. Joining me tonight is outdoor enthusiast, children's book author, and fellow naked and feared survivalist, Russell Sage. Sir, how are you this evening?
1: Brother, I'm doing good. I'm pretty stoked about this. Let's get it on.
0: All right, great. Yes. so tonight we are going to be talking about getting into prepping and prepping on a budget, which is something that I think a lot of my viewers are going to be very interested in and hopefully get a lot of good information out of. But Before we jump into that, sir, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Who are you? What do you do? And uh, how did you get into this whole survivalism game?
1: All right. Well, I'm Russell Sage. Um, I guess my survival repertoire would be uh, Naked and Afraid. I've been on it three different times. Um, I've been doing survival since before it was actually popular. (laughs) So, um you know, I got into prepping when it wasn't called prepping. It was just living. Uh, my grandparents would grow their own garden and then jar and can everything they grew in hopes for, uh, you know, the winter coming around and having something to, to uh, feed the family with. So um, I learned a lot of stuff from them. Uh, I learned a lot of my basic survival skills from my father. Um, and, you know, it, it, kind of pushed me in a direction that I didn't know I was going to go into. Um, and here I am.
0: Awesome. Awesome. So uh, one of the things that uh, that I kind of wanted to talk about, you, you said when I asked you to do this that uh, we could do, I mean, you were like spot on right away. I want to do getting into prepping and prepping on a budget. You know, there wasn't any, any any discussion any like idea farming or anything like that that we did you knew what you wanted to do and and that was that was great you know saved me from having to brainstorm or anything like that but uh one of the things that uh my last week's guest Darren Ray uh he kind of touched on it a little bit and then we just kind of you know went on from it was uh prepping you know, the, you got the, the word prepping is uh, – it kind of has a bit of a negative social connotation to it. It does. Know? It yeah. does. Yeah. When, um, when, uh, when normal people hear the word prepping or prepper, the first thing that comes to their mind is some toothless yokel in a cabin in the woods who's afraid that the black government helicopters are going to come and snatch him up for, you know, whatever reason. And uh, that right there, I think, is the first hurdle – that, that mental and social stigma that people have to get over before they can really get into, you know, you know buying or, or making their own own, own tools for, for prepping. So um, why don't you, uh, you, you said you, you learn skills from your, your parents and your grandparents, uh, but in the modern context of things, why don't you tell people how you kind of got through that stigma and how they can can push past it?
1: Well, you know, I look at it like a mindset. Uh, everybody got stuck on, when you say prepper, they think doomsday prepper. Right. And that you are waiting for an apocalyptic event that's gonna happen, that may happen, may not happen, but you know what, you're gonna be prepared. They, people don't understand that we're all actually preppers right now. Every single person watching the show is a prepper. If you have a savings account, you're a prepper. Yep. You're prepping you, you're, you're saving up for something in the future that you don't know is coming, but you want to make sure you have the money to, to justify it and, and, and be able to, to, um, take care of it. So in a sense, you're still a prepper now, uh, that whole doomsday scenario. That's like the far, far extreme one side. Um, You know, FEMA says you should have 72 hours worth of food, and I think that's bullshit. And I'm dead serious. 72 hours? A family of four, 72 hours, that's, uh, you know, four servings or uh, three servings per person, four persons a day. That's not a lot of food. I mean, hell, I could eat 72 hours worth of food in one sitting.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah.
1: You know that that whole idea. It's it's when I teach prepping, I I, I got to break it down to people and and tell them like, you know, the mindset's already there. You're already looking for the future. Now what you're doing is finding multiple ways to uh, facilitate your future.
0: Right. Yeah. And like you, like you said, you know, you, you took the words right out of my mouth when you said, you know, we're all preppers to some degree or another. Like I live up in Nebraska here in Tornado Alley. You know, you got a storm kit. Hey, you're a prepper. You live down in Florida. You got storm windows on your house and you got some potable water stashed away just in case a hurricane knocks everything out for a week or so. Guess what? You're a prepper, you know, you don't have to be the crazy homeless or the crazy uh, mountain man out in the woods with a beard down to his knees, eating rats and squirrels all the time to be a prepper, you know, or, or the guy with a bunker full of 100,000 rounds of ammunition. Exactly. Although I, although I would love to be that guy. <laughs> well,
1: that's, that's Not to jump off subject, but that's the same thing about survivalism um when people ask me like what's it like to be a survivalist i tell them i'm like you know you're a survivalist too and i ask them how old they are and they say oh i'm 32 i'm like okay well y- you have survived for 32 years right. you have 32 years of experience of survival in your habitat you're a survivalist right. you know you manage to not get run over by a bus not catch some kind of infectious disease you know you you've you survived. So, you know, and that it always puts a smile on someone's face when they they talk to you about it. So, prepping's the same way. We're all preppers.
0: Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um just to kind of shift gears here real quick, you uh you wrote a you wrote a book. I did. Yes. Uh tell us about that and and uh how you got into that and what the the impetus and the idea for that was.
1: Uh I'm in my my uh dining room and we don't have any heaters in here so i'm gonna to have to put a coat on real quick but so i'm not a an author by any means you know i uh i didn't get into writing it wasn't something that i've always been passionate about but i like getting information out there and for some reason um nobody wants to teach the young young children how to survive they, they think like Survival is all about uh, using knives, starting fires and all that, and just teaching a child how not to get lost is survival. And they need to know that. If you plan on bringing your young ones out in the woods, they need to know what to do if they get lost. And I wrote this children's book for ages four to eight. Now, it's written in a way that it's, it's, it's in story form, so it's not a survival guide. Uh, It talks about a young child named Joshua, who his parents know the ways about survival and how not to get lost, and this book illustrates a bunch of different things that you can do and how to teach a child. So when you're reading the story to them, they absorb these things, and young Joshua goes out and gets distracted. His family hikes in one direction. He runs off chasing after a lizard and another, and next thing he knows, he's lost. And um, you know, he has to go through the trials and tribulations of being lost. And uh, his family, luckily for them, they they set him up and uh, got him, you know, educated. So he ended up making it through.
0: All right, great. Yeah, that's a that's a very interesting and a very good way of imparting knowledge to kids is not just hammering home dry information, but putting it into a nice little story with a happy ending like that. And that is definitely something that I think would probably come across really well to a kid. And I'm probably going to end up buying the book soon myself. I've got a couple of young ones here that could probably do well for that.
1: Definitely, brother. And I I promise you, uh, the information I put in there, it was from when I did uh, search and rescue um, and Wilderness First Responder and the things that helped us out to help people, to find people. Um, I'll give you a little tidbit. Something as simple as before you take your children out hiking, take whatever shoe they're going to wear, lay a piece of foil out and imprint their shoe and bring that with you and leave it in the car. So if that child gets lost, you can give that imprint to the search and rescue people and they're gonna be able to cross out 99% of all the tracks that they come across and focus on that one set. They'll know where they got off the trail and then they'll have a direction to go. Something as simple as that saves lives.
0: Oh, that's something that I had never even thought of before. And anybody listening to this right now, if you're interested in that book, it'll, the link to the Amazon page will be right down in the comments section. Uh, or you can just search Russell's name and I'm sure you're going to find it. The name of the book is Where Is Everyone? It's got a nice little caption of a kid like, where is everyone? <laughs> so, yeah, it, uh,
1: I, uh, I actually had the artwork done um it, the artist was kind of uh, dumbfounded when I told him that I wanted it to be drawn as if a child had drawn it. So mm. it's more relatable. So the illustrations uh, are um, rudimentary, for lack of a better term. You know, just uh, it's all watercolor. Uh, kids learn watercolor at the very beginning, you know, um, kindergarten and stuff. So it, it's all based around a child's way of learning, it's something mm. they're familiar with.
0: Oh, seems seems like a whole lot of uh, forethought went into the putting together because that that right there never would have have occurred to me if I was writing a, a book for you know aimed at kids to to make it as relatable to that I would be like you know give me give me Rembrandt I want all my illustrations to be like the Sistine Chapel or something like that so yeah that was that's a that's a stroke of genius right there and and uh, I applaud you for it. Well, I appreciate it yeah okay so uh you uh you mentioned the uh search and rescue and and wilderness uh survival and and in uh, getting into that um where did you uh where did you work and apply that trade
1: uh well when it came to um uh, search and rescue that was started back when I was in civil air patrol uh at age 13 to 18 um we would look for down planes. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with search and rescue, uh, you're a uh, military. Yep. Um, so, or, uh, w- yeah, civil air patrol. Uh, so, you know, that's where it started. And then, uh, you know, I volunteered for certain groups here and there. Um, and then I got into teaching and, I had to get certified in wilderness first responder to teach wilderness first responder. So then I taught wilderness first responder for, um, code one in Connecticut. And, um, you know, it just kind of took off from there. I mean, survival has always been in my, my background. It's, it's one of my passions. Um, you know, I would rather if I had the ability to teach for free, I would, um, you know, I, I got a good job right now. So I offer classes and there are quite a few people who take them from me for free. Um, just because I want to get the knowledge out there. Uh, but you know, you get a group of 10 people together. Yeah. I'm going to charge, you know, I have to deal with that. Babysit a bunch of kids or a bunch of adults for that matter. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting my money out of it, but, um, getting the information out that is that that's, key as far as I'm concerned, you know, uh, if something catastrophic did happen, I want everybody to have enough tools in their toolbox to, to get through it and help their, their fellow man out. Cause there may be a time where I'm, you know, in, in dire straits and somebody that I taught could come by and be able to, to save me. So that's, that's what I'm going for.
0: Awesome. Awesome. So, uh, you, you mentioned teaching classes there do you have like a, a website or a way that uh, people who would be interested in learning from you can get a hold of you or is it yeah, just I, of those things like you know if you see me ask
1: yeah you could just look me up on Facebook I, I don't have any websites or anything I got rid of all of that as far as, as teaching when teaching was prominent in my life and that was the um, main source of income I was all about it but now it's more of um, a hobby than anything else um, Teaching helps me keep my skill set strong. So, you
0: know, that's pretty yeah.
1: much how I go about doing it. You know, you know
0: learn, learn by doing, iron sharpens iron and stuff like that. 10-4. Yep, awesome. So, uh, let's uh, kind of get into the uh, meat and potatoes of uh, what we were going to talk about tonight. And that's that's getting into prepping and prepping on a budget. So, yep. Uh, other, other than the, the doomsday apocalypse prepper who's got a bunker full of beans and bullets, the first thing most people think of when they think of prepping is uh, storing up food. So, Correct. you know, you have big bags of rice and dried beans and, and shit like that. But other than your uh, staple foods and everything, uh, what do you think is probably the number one thing that somebody looking to kind of put away a little rainy day stash? should be looking at and where do you recommend they get it on a budget
1: on a budget if the way i set it up is um everybody asks how do i define a budget yeah i think everybody can afford ten dollars every time they go to the grocery store you take ten dollars that right there will get you started right ten dollars you can get spaghetti for a dollar and you can get sauce for a dollar That's $2. Spaghetti is eight servings with sauce, eight servings. That's $2 for eight servings. That's not bad. And it doesn't go bad. Uh, Spaghetti has a very long shelf life and the, the sauce itself, if you get it canned, it's going to have a little longer shelf life than jars as long as you keep it in a uh, cool dark area. But they put expiration dates on it because they have to. Uh, I guarantee you. I've had some sauce that has been on the shelf for a long time, and it was as good as the uh, the day I bought it. So if you think about that, that's $2 for eight servings. So for $10, you're getting uh, 10 servings or 10 of each, five of each. So that's, God, what's the math on that? Uh, 40 Forty, yeah, there you go. Forty servings for ten dollars. Um, that's that's quite a few days. And yep. it, it, you got to remember, you're not doing this and expecting to eat it immediately. So the next time you go to the grocery store, you you switch it out. You get your beans and rice. You can get a, a five pound bag of beans for um, two dollars, depending on where you go, two fifty, and a bag of rice, uh, a, a five pound bag of rice for. Um, Roughly two to 250. Um, and it depends on what your serving size is, but you get quite a few servings out of that also. So I mean, if you just rotate every time you go to the store, you take ten dollars and you get the staples, beans and rice, spaghetti and sauce, and some sort of canned meat and vegetables. And you just rotate that, rotate that, rotate that. So you know, if you're not on hard times and you go six months, and you have to go to the store every week, every two weeks, and you do that. I guarantee you, you'll have a cache of supplies before you know it.
0: Yep, definitely. And one thing that uh, that my brother did when I was living with him—like I don't know where he read it, or you know if it just occurred to him to do it—he started buying every every week for. Got for it seemed like months. Every week he would go to the grocery store and he he would come back with a thing of salt. Yeah. And he's got salt coming out his ass at his place right now. And salt is one of those things, you know, you can you can cure meat with it, you can use it for flavor, you can use salt for just about anything. It never goes bad as long as it stays in a dry place. It's cheap and yep. never gonna have to worry about about uh, a lot of stuff. If you, if you keep your salt supply high, so let totally another
1: agree. Now, um, another thing is sugar or honey for that matter. Honey never goes bad. Um, if you get local honey and you live in one particular area, it helps with allergies. Um, you can distill honey and you can make alcohol uh, which is uh, obviously something you can barter with if you wanted to get in the doomsday prepping side of it. Um, you know, you can prep whatever you want to prep Uh, prepping on a budget i'm talking about ten dollars a week or ten dollars every two weeks hell ten dollars a month it doesn't matter how you go about doing it but everybody can afford ten dollars and now a lot of people assume prepping is for like some apocalyptic event I mean, hell, I think everybody who's watching your channel has at, at one point in time got fired or, or got laid off. Um, you get laid off, you're still having to pay for food. Problem is, is that if you don't have the money, you, now you're pinching pennies here and there and you're struggling and you're not getting the food that you need. So if you have money when you're working and you start building up your 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 supply cash all of a sudden you lose your job. Guess what? One thing you don't have to pay for food Food. because you've already put that in your savings account. That food is already in a closet. It's already under a bed and you can spend the money that you would have spent on food for another bill and help get yourself back on your feet. Maybe that's gas in a tank.
0: Yep. Getting to your new job or an interview for a new job that'll get you Get you back going. So, uh, kind of off topic here, but uh, Mark Andrew, the the head guy over at Thick Boog Line, wants to know uh, what your opinion for the best prepper round is: two, two, three, or twenty-two long rifle.
1: Ooh, um, I'm going to say twenty-two long rifle, and yep. I can justify that with you can hunt with it, and since it's got the muzzle velocity that it has, if you get you know a long rifle you, you could still do some damage. Uh, I've seen some YouTube videos where somebody took a ham wrapped it in duct tape and put a leather jacket on it, shot it with uh, a 22 long rifle. And it had some decent penetration up to four inches. Um, you know, and that was at about 30 yards, I believe. So personally it, for defense, you know, I mean, it'll help. Nobody wants to get with a, shot with a 22. Um, no. but I'm looking at something for, uh, uh, hunting you shoot a deer in the head with a 22 you're still going to drop it you ain't got to worry about that body shot um, um, so if to answer his question prepping wise 22 it's cheaper and it's more versatile
0: you can carry a ton of it you can it packs into a smaller area you can you know a box of 500 takes up you know yeah less, less than the size of a football and uh, yeah it's a it, it's a great versatile round you have to know what you're doing you have to be a good shot yeah in order to use it effectively but uh, yeah you can you can practice and practice and practice and not break the bank exactly yep absolutely so uh, let's see we were we talked about food uh, what are some uh, some hard goods some supplies that uh, a person a, a prepper minded person on a budget, might want to invest in things like uh uh cookware or canning supplies tents things like that what's your Um, priorities your priority list that's what i'm trying to get at
1: i would say get yourself a good cast iron skillet um that's something you could take with you Uh, if it's cured properly you don't have to use any kind of grease in it you'll be able to to use it at any point in time um I would say, yeah, you can go to Walmart and buy jars, they're kind of expensive, so hit the um, uh, flea markets. You find jars all the time at flea markets, yard sales. Um, you know, if, if you have it in your mind that you want to start doing something as far as prepping is concerned, always swap meets, yard sales, and flea markets. You'll find what you need there. Uh, goodwill. I don't think I've ever gone to a Goodwill and not seen one of those 90s style dehydrators that have the, the discs that mm-hmm. stack up. I, I think everybody used to have one of those in their home. Um, dehydrated foods you, you last a while, you know, yep. and all you got to do is reconstitute it and and eat it. You're good.
0: Yep, absolutely. Ben, Ben, you're killing it with these uh, tips on the bottom of the screen. That's uh... You're you're doing good. Putting in the Lord's work there, Ben. Uh, (laughs) Okay, so, uh, yeah, so uh, you you mentioned curing or or seasoning is how I've always heard it called a cast iron skillet. Uh, For people who may not be aware of that, if you buy a cast iron skillet new and you just throw food into it and cook off of it without correctly seasoning or curing it, it is going to ruin the pan. It's going to rust and it's going to possibly poison you down the line too. So uh, why don't you tell everybody, how do you properly season a cast iron skillet?
1: Uh, Well, let's see. Um, I've used sesame seed oil. I've used bacon fat. Um, You line the whole inside of it, put it in the oven for uh, 400 degrees for like, I don't know, an hour and a half, two hours, get it really into the metal and it absorbs it and you can just keep repeating the process until it builds it up it's kind of like shining a boot you know you put buffer on it you put your wax on it you shine it it's kind of dull you do it again it's a little bit shinier and you keep doing it until you have that nice mirror shine same thing with the cast iron skillet you know you you i like bacon fat um that that's just one of my go-to's i like uh once i do cure it cook my bacon in it and just let the fat sit in the, uh, the skillet on the stove until I use it the next morning. Um, you know, bacon fat doesn't go bad as far as I'm concerned. I, I've never had lard go bad. Um, so yeah, like you know, everybody has their own recipe for it and what I do might not work for everybody else, but look, Google is only a button away and you can find the easiest recipe to help you out and y- you can figure out how to cure it your way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The uh, that is that is one thing that uh, I, I'm glad it exists. It uh, probably makes shows like this a little bit redundant, but sometimes people just like listening to other people talk about interesting topics like this. But uh, I I would have to say that uh, as far as I'm concerned, the number one prepping resource out there is the knowledge that. We've gathered, and everybody has access to the sum total of human knowledge at their fingertips right now. So, oh, yeah. go in if if you if you need to uh, need to get information. Just it's a click away. You know, utilize the resources that you have available. And resources aren't just hard resources like food and water and shelter and stuff. They're the stuff between your ears up here.
1: And it weighs nothing.
0: Yep. No space. Yep. A buddy of mine, uh he has a really good saying that I like. He says that uh knowledge is the only weapon that cannot be taken from you. And I agree. Really, I really like that saying, and I wish I'd have come up with it because I Damn I can't man. I can't use it to sign off from this show every every week, and it kind of bums me out. But <laughs> so uh all right, so you know we've we've gone over uh, uh, hard goods and where to get them on a budget: flea markets, uh, goodwill, thrift stores, uh, you know, swap meets, garage sales, stuff like that. And uh, we've gone over how to, <laughs> excuse me, not just how how to how to budget, but like how to how to get you know set aside ten dollars. You know, that's not, it. Yeah, not not just not just look for the cheapest stuff when you need it, but just set aside for for now. And if you got a closet full of salt and dried beans, then, you know, you're the only person who's going to be complaining is your wife when she can't hang her clothes up or something.
1: And, dude, you'd be surprised the places you could store it. You get you a nice little tote and you can slide it under the bed. Yep. You know, you can put it in one of those closets. You can put it in the garage. I always recommend putting it in a tote because you don't want critters getting in there. But there, there, the, the the possibilities are endless as far as where you can put it. If it's dry goods, hell, you can store it in the attic. It ain't going to, as long as there's no moisture in there, you're
0: good. Yep, yep. That is definitely true. So uh, I, I talked here just a little bit about Getting on the internet and, and getting your knowledge off of that, but uh, once again, Mark, buddy over at TBL, he brings up a he brings up a good point. I don't know if he if he means to or not, but uh, the internet might not always be there. Electricity might not always be there. So, yep. what are some books like hard copy books that you would recommend for, for people that want to get into this game?
1: Now, see that's a it's a fickle question because books like survival guides, they tell you a very basic, how to build a shelter. This is how you build an a frame, but an a frame might not work for the environment you're in. So you need to learn other things. So what you need to do is get yourself a printer. And you look up what you want to learn, and print it off, put it in a folder and put it on your, your, your shelf, make your own book because it's catered to you. Yep. Buying books, like uh, how to garden, how to do this, how to do that, that they're done in areas that you may not live. That's like taking a survival class in a state that you don't live in. Oh, guess what you just learned? How to survive in that state.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely.
1: If you live in Colorado and you take a survival class in Maine, you didn't learn how to survive in Colorado. Yep. So I would say, take the initiative, go online, anything you see that you like, that helps you out, print it.
0: Huh. Put it in the folder. Oh, well, there you go. Absolute genius. Right there. Um, let's see. <laughs> Mark says that's that is exactly what he was thinking too. So great minds think alike. There. Well,
1: I appreciate it. Yep.
0: So uh, let's, uh, let's 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 kind of shift gears here for a little bit. Uh, we're kind of going to what we were talking about before the show, and uh, it's not necessarily the uh, apocalypse coming down on our heads but it is something that people uh, out in the Appalachian area might want to start setting aside things for and that's the uh impending to do that's about to happen out in Virginia so uh, what are some of your thoughts on that?
1: Well I mean I could still bring it right back around to prepping um uh a president that won't be named uh eight years ago had a couple of executive orders and those executive orders stated that during a national emergency uh the uh, powers that be can come into your house and take any supplies you have that to me sounds like the redcoats back in the day um you know so that's why they say only have 72 um, hours or 72 day or shit, 72 hours worth of um, supplies, because once the seven twos up, you'll be able to get the, the rest of your supplies from FEMA because the government will be able to give you those things because they've taken it from other people. Yep. So my personal opinion is stock up your shit. Don't let nobody know you have it and put it in places they won't
0: find it. Yep, that is that is one of the things that I think that a lot of guys out here in this sphere in the age of social media take for granted is I've got mine, but I also want to tell everybody I know that, you know, hey, check out my my stash of MREs that I got for dirt cheap off of a military surplus site and everything. Uh, and, and you also, you know, you brought up something that me and Darren kind of touched on last week was uh, back in World War II and on up through the 50s and 60s in the height of the Cold War, the government was encouraging people to grow victory gardens, have a couple of chickens, be self-sufficient so that in the event that, you know, we have like a nuclear war with Russia, you're not going to be taxing the government's resources in order to keep yourself alive, you will be able to keep yourself alive and the government can handle the reds. Nowadays that has flipped on its head where you can't collect rainwater in certain areas without getting the man knocking on your door. You till up your backyard to plant some tomatoes and some squash and suddenly you've got the HOA or the code enforcement from the town that you live in knocking on your door saying it's an eyesore or yep. something. So, you know, it kind of makes me wonder, you know, did did the Soviet Union really collapse or did it just soften its approach and move west a little bit?
1: You know, I I look at it like the we got big government and we got bigger government. The bigger government wants us to be completely relying on them, 100%. They want to have full control over us and be able to. Um, oh, you want to eat? You have to do this. Oh, you want to drink? You have to do this. You know, and being self-sufficient is becoming more illegal every day. And it's our God-given right to be self-sufficient.
0: Yep, absolutely. That's that's the uh, when uh, when when people talk about like like what do you need a gun for or you know hunting is out of style or any or anything like that. I don't like. I don't take it. To To look at it like, uh, you know, I need this gun for this purpose. I ask people, uh, you know, rather than comparing guns to cars and death tolls and all that other shit, the way that I like to do it is is uh, what purpose does a car serve? And if they say, you know, anything other than conveyance from point a to point b that's what i'll tell them it's it, that is doesn't matter if it's a lifted jeep or if it's a prius or whatever it is a car's purpose is conveyance from point a to point b mm-hmm. and the same thing applies to a firearm what is the root purpose of a firearm and to me that is self-sufficiency independence independence it's not about this gun is for is for, uh, uh, hunting and this gun is for target shooting. No, the purpose of a firearm period, full stop is self-sufficiency. It is independence from the need to eat. You can hunt with it. The, uh, protecting your property. It's for, uh, ensuring that the state or roving bands of, you know, fallout style Raiders aren't, you know, killing you and raping you and taking your shit. Self-sufficiency and independence is the root purpose of a firearm the same way that the root purpose of a car is conveyance from A to B. Totally
1: agree. And, um, you know, that. a little side note on that, you know, um, convenience gives way to a false sense of security. You know, you being able to hunt and get your own food, that's great. That's awesome. But the people that are anti-gun, anti-survival, anti-prepping, all that, they go to the store and get their stuff at a convenience. Mm-hmm. But everybody who lives anywhere where there is any sort of possible national, uh, uh, disaster, like flooding in Houston, um, snowstorms up North, you can't go to the store and get your stuff because the shelves are empty because the trucks can't get there. Now, your convenience is out the window. Now, what are you going to do? What happens if you're on uh, food stamps or you're on assistance and the computer systems go down, which happens all the time. I'm not talking about a solar flare or an EMP. I'm talking about just a bug in the system. Now you can't get the money on your card to go buy the food you need. So that's what prepping on a budget, all that is.
0: You're just building that up. Yep, just in case something like that should happen. So uh, here's kind of an open-ended question here from Mark. He wants to know, bug in or bug out if shit hits the fan? And I'm going to, before you answer that, I'm going to ask him to maybe clarify a bit uh, what, what shit is hitting which fan. But you can go all ahead right. and take it, take it from there like what your, your personal preference would be just on a general scale.
1: That is a two tier answer. Yep. So bug in or bug out, I would say bug out if the location you're at is an apartment, um, a rented house, something like that. It's not yours and the people that own it may come back for it. So you got to get out of there. Um, if you have a spot of land you have your own house you know y- y- you have your preps there you've collected your rainwater you got your garden you got your farm animals you got your storage there you got your ammo there you got your guns there you got your family there your family's extended family knows to come there during a- an event bug in um, nope. you know everybody always all the people i talk to they're like i don't need to prep Uh, if shit ever hit the fan, I'm going to go in the woods and, and, and hunt.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You and about a half a million other people in the county that you live in.
1: Exactly. And the reason why we have hunting licenses and tags and all that is so we don't deplete the population. If all of a sudden every person with a gun goes in the woods and shoots everything they see from songbirds to rabbits, to coons, to possums, just for meat guess what, there ain't gonna be no more meat. It's gonna go, you know, especially if it happens during the winter time where you can't grow. Um, I support growing indoor gardens, um, or uh, window sill gardens, a tomato plant and a five gallon bucket in a living room that the sun shines on. You know, something as small as that is giving you a little more substance than you had.
0: Yep. And tomatoes are awesome. And they are. <laughs> they grow,
1: and they'll grow with... They're almost damn near a weed. Like, they'll grow with no help.
0: Yep. Yeah, we had one... Uh, it's actually... It was really, really funny. Uh, my wife just bought a tomato at the store and decided to save the seeds. and was going to use this kind of like a, a learning thing with the kids. You know, this is how, how life works and whatever. So... Planted the seeds in a in a little in a little pot, and it mm-hmm. soon soon got too big for the pot. So then moved it to a much larger pot, and then it very soon got too large for that. And I ended up having to dig a hole in the backyard and transfer yep. this tomato plant from what is essentially a five gallon bucket full of dirt without like breaking the stem off. And that was that was a huge pain in the ass. So uh, Mark kind of clarified here. He says uh, on his his bug out versus bug in question here. He says. Uh, natural disaster versus armed conflict versus societal collapse. And I, you know, I have to preface that with, you know, it depends on, on uh, where you're at and what type of disaster it is. If you're in a city, you know, it, it might not be possible to get out if it is a sudden thing, like, you know, a red dawn scenario where Soviet troops are falling out of the sky or something, you might have to, kind of hunker down and 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 wait for the coast to be clear uh natural disasters are kind of the same way you know hurricane or a tornado hits you ain't got a lot of warning time to pack up your shit and get out of dodge societal collapse mm, that one you can kind of see coming you know those things don't just spontaneously erupt that one would be the time to uh to get your preps together and get into a place where society can't reach you in my opinion what's your thoughts
1: so uh, being as that I was in Houston uh, during Harvey, uh, that's one of those you bug in, but you're kind of SOL if the floods rise. You know, if, if you hunker down, you better know you're in an area that's not going to flood. Um, and the problem with that is, is it may not have flooded the last 30 years, but you get that one storm that like uh, Harvey that moved at into land came back out gained more strength and came back in and dumped double the amount that it dumped the first time a lot of people flooded that didn't know they were going to flood and you know so you may have all your preps in order and then all of a sudden the water is six feet in your living room and all your preps are demolished so that would be a bug out scenario that would be load whatever you can in a vehicle and get the hell out of dodge go somewhere else a campsite north like four or five hours and you'd be better off but as far as a um uh, like a red dawn scenario and stuff you got to get your community involved your neighbors you you got to build a force and that goes back to prepping also is that a lot of people prep and they want to prep in secret you know, no, you don't want to go on Facebook and tell everybody what you got, but your neighbors, you know them, you've lived next to them for 10 years, you've had uh, Super Bowl parties at their house, you drink beer with them, you should try to get them on to prepping so they are in the same mindset that you are. So if something like that did happen, you have a small force already there and you can protect each other because nobody can protect their house 24 hours a day 7 days a week. If it's you and the wife and kids, guess what? You're staying up 12 hours, she's staying up 12 hours. It's not going to work. But if you've got a community and you've got two or three guys that can rotate and they 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 walk the perimeter of your your little cul-de-sac or your neighborhood, you know, that's that's a better bet as far as I'm concerned. And then if it's a social collapse, I mean shit if you already have all your shit in one area, as long as you don't live in the city, which I wouldn't live in the city if you paid me. (laughs) Me neither. I mean, dead serious. I mean, that's like the beginning of prepping is get out of the city, go rural, you know, have have your house. Um, and I know some people can't afford it and and, then that's fine. That's fine. But that's a goal. That's what you save up to. You you get out from where you are and you go somewhere else.
0: Yep, uh, I uh, I agree with that 100. percent And uh, hopefully here in the future we're going to be having a uh, having a guest on that said he wants to specialize in uh, prepping in an urban environment. So I have to I have to contact him about that. Uh, yeah, uh, like you're saying, you know, no no man is an island. You know, if you, you could have the perfect preps for for the contingency that you most see coming, but if you're by yourself, you don't have a, a family unit or a small community to support you, then you're, you're running on borrowed time. And uh, one thing that uh, needs to be driven home to a lot of people who are just getting into prepping is you cannot prep for every single contingency and it's stupid to try exactly Uh, yeah you know like i like i said you know i live in nebraska in the dead center of the country hurricanes are a non-issue for me so i don't need i don't need to prep for a hurricane uh, or or massive flooding where I'm at. you know, it gets gets a little moist around here sometime, but it isn't like you know six foot of water like you were talking about during Hurricane Harvey. So I don't really need to prep for any of that. What I do need to prep for though, would be uh, tornadoes, yep. and, and uh, electrical storms and you know things like that. So uh, knowing your area, knowing the types of uh, scenarios that are most likely, to affect you in your area and you could probably extend that to a hundred mile radius around you. Know that area know those those types of contingencies and prep accordingly.
1: Well that goes back to the bug in bug out I mean I w- any scenario where I said bug in you still need to have a bug out contingency yep. I mean it, it's still you got to have a way out uh, I never go to a restaurant that I can't see the, the back door exit. You know, it's one of those things like you just, uh, two is one, one is none. Yep. So you always have a backup plan. There's always should be a pan plan. B plan C plan D plan, a plan AB, you know, you just keep piling them up. What would I do if this happened? Okay. Well, if this happened, what would I do if this happened? play the what if game that's all I do and my profession right now is a safety inspector and that's all I do is play what if you know it's, it's what if this guy did this how do we mitigate that what if guy this guy did that how do we mitigate that and if you take that mindset and put it into prepping and survival you know you're better off but I mean hell tonight a meteor could land on me and all the prepping in the world ain't gonna do me a hill of
0: beans. <laughs> yep. Yep. And uh, kind of going full circle all the way back to what we talked about at the beginning is, is mindset is playing that. What if game and uh, being aware, but not driving yourself crazy over it. That I think is, is partly where the, the negative stigma that surrounds survivalists and preppers come from is, is normal people you know asleep people the npcs of the world see a guy who's always going you know well what if a shooter comes through the front door what am i going to do or uh you know any of these contingencies that have like a one in a billion chance of happening but you're playing what if in your head the people who don't do that who are kind of asleep at the wheel that just coasting through life to them that seems crazy
1: Yeah, well, what if you went to a movie theater and a crazy guy came through and shot it up? What if you were at a dance club and a crazy guy came and shot it up? What if you were at a concert and a crazy guy came and shot it up? I mean, those aren't what ifs. Those are actual events that have happened. Mm -hmm. So I would have never thought in my wildest dreams going to a club and dancing and having fun and being there with my girl and drinking a beer that a madman could come in and shoot it up. It's just not, it does it's not something you fathom, but it happens. Mm-hmm. So all the, all the, the, the naysayers that say, oh, that can never happen. When I talk about, you know, uh, a meteor hitting or Yellowstone popping off uh, or a uh, social disorder, they say that can never happen but just because it's not um, probable doesn't mean it's not possible
0: Mm -hmm. yep and every every single area has a different degree of probability for certain scenarios you know goes back to knowing your area, knowing the contingencies that you have to plan for. If you live in a large metropolitan area, the chances of rioting is going to be exponentially greater than like where I live in a town of about 35, 40,000 people. You know, there's not going to be huge large scale Molotov cocktail brawls in the street where I live, but you know, you down there like Houston or Houston downtown proper, it's probably going to be quite a bit more likely there. Well, I mean, look,
1: look at L.A. during the L.A. riots. You had rioting, but look when um, uh, the Yankees won the World Series. You know, people flipped cars and shit. You know, you see it celebrating. I still see it as rioting. You know, Um, look when a team lost. They got mad and flipped cars. You know. It, it, it was a powder keg, and it just took one additional step for that thing to pop off. Uh, luckily, a lot of those events were, were um, uh, squashed in some way, form, or fashion. But celebration and rioting are, you know, two of the same thing. And I have a funny suspicion that with this election coming up, either way, one side or the other, whoever wins there's gonna be rioting
0: yeah yeah unfortunately I think that you are right on the nose with that prediction and the project Veritas thing that got released uh, just yesterday kind of kind of proves it yeah I don't know I don't know if you've seen that yet or not uh,
1: I, I don't know I see uh, a lot of stuff that I, I retain a little bit of it <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, we can, we can talk about that after the show. And speaking of which, you know, we got about 10 minutes, 10 minutes left here. Uh, stick around after we, we bring everything down, and uh, we'll do a little bit of an after-action review here. But like I said, we got 10 minutes left. So uh, what? Uh, just give us some closing thoughts about whatever you want to talk about. All right. Um, I
1: want to ask the viewers if they've ever heard the story of the grasshopper and the ant because I think that is the perfect prepper story. Uh, I heard about it when I was a young kid, so I figured everybody's heard about it. But if you haven't, uh, the story involves um, a grasshopper who's all willy-nilly in springtime, having fun, jumping around. And he comes across a bunch of ants, and those ants uh, are getting food for the winter time and they say, Hey, aren't you going to get food grasshopper? And the grasshopper's like, nah, I can do that later. And then summer comes around, same thing. Hey, you going to get some food. Grasshopper's like, nah, I'm going to get that later. Autumn comes around grasshopper. you going to get some food. No, I'm going to get it later. Winter comes around grasshopper standing outside, freezing his balls off. The yep. ants come up and say, Hey, come with us. We have food and they take care of the grasshopper and the grasshopper's thankful. That right there is a sense of community prepping. If you prep well enough and your neighbors don't, you don't have to worry about them coming and taking your preps because you have enough to cover them also, you know, but the best angle is to get them into prepping also. So you don't have to save their ass.
0: Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, Okay, so I think we're going to call that a night. We're right at about an hour, a few minutes less than an hour, but that's a good note to leave it on. Uh, Thank you for joining us tonight. Uh, I'm Hobbs, of course. Our guest tonight was Russell Sage, uh, survivalist, outdoor enthusiast, children's book author, and fellow Nicodena Feared alumni. The website for us is no longer roadstoliberty.com. That's Website is being taken down, put on the shelf. Uh, Roads to Liberty is being rolled into the Think Liberty Network. We provide some good content and they're going to provide some marketing expertise and a large audience base. So hopefully that's going to be a nice little symbiotic relationship that we're going to have going. So you're going to start seeing our stuff pop up in the Think Liberty feeds, which is going to be very exciting and very good for us in the future. If you are interested in buying Russell's book, the link to the Amazon uh, page for that book is down in the comment section. Go look for it. If you can't find it in the comment section, just go to Amazon and type in his name, Russell Sage. You'll find it. It's got a nice little illustration on the cover. Uh, So for those of us at the Roads to Liberty Network, I'm Hobbs. Thank you very much for joining us tonight and have a good day.